There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We were supposed to bring you the book God, Guns, and Sedition this week, but something came up. U.S. troops have been killed in Jordan. The U.S. is being urged to make Iran's regime pay for the deaths of three U.S. service members and the wounding of more than 40 others at an outpost in Jordan. One thing I think has become very clear, at least since October 7th, that the head of the snake of war and terrorism in the region actually lies in Tehran. Ali Reza Jafarzadi is the deputy director of the National Council of Resistance of Iran. He works in Washington, and he has been targeted himself for death by the regime. So what do you do with the head of the snake? You crush it. He says that's the responsibility of Iranians. Not the outside world. But he makes this key point. The outside world can hold the regime accountable. Coming up on this episode from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. There's been quite a bit of discussion this week about what the U.S. should do in retaliation for the three U.S. troops that were killed in Northeast Jordan at Tower 22 and the 40-plus that were injured. A growing number of people are saying the U.S. needs to go after leadership inside Iran, which it's admitted it is behind all of these attacks. So we spoke with a man who knows a lot about the regime in Iran, his name is Ali Reza Jafarzadi. He's the deputy director of the Washington Office of the National Council of Resistance of Iran. And he actually has been targeted in the past directly by the regime. The FBI uh, pointed it out, showed it to him what was going on. And there were a couple of people that were arrested under serving prison time for this. So he knows exactly what it is that the U.S. is dealing with and spoke about it. Ali Reza, we have talked for years about some of the uh, illicit activities of the Iranian government here on U.S. soil. There have been numerous cases where they have tried to hire uh, criminals to engage in activities here, whether it be assassinations or terror attacks, et cetera, et cetera. Another one has arisen, this one in the state of Maryland. Uh, and according to the court documents from the state of Minnesota, Three individuals were arrested, engaged in another plot. Can you tell us about this plot that was supposedly designed to essentially go after individuals in the state of Maryland? Right. Well, according to the indictment um, by the uh, Justice Department, the um, Iranian regime through a network uh, that it has inside Iran, uh, they name actually one particular uh, uh, person, 
Um, his name is uh, Naji Sharifie Zindashti. He's based in Iran, runs a network associated with the Iranian regime's government. But out of Iran, he was uh, he had hired two individuals in uh, Canadian nationals uh, to come to the United States to carry out a terror operation against uh, you know two Iranian dissidents in Maryland. And then um, he was doing all of these recruitment um, via encrypted communications uh, through a, a, a network called the Sky ECC. And then he had promised to pay these individuals um, as much as $350,000 plus $20,000 for their uh, uh, travel expenses. Uh, in other words, uh, just sitting in Tehran, the regime was able to hire individuals to carry out terror operations on U.S. soil. And, um, and of course, this one was um, neutralized. And, and there, there has been a trend of similar uh, terror plots um, in the past. Do we know anything more about where in Maryland these individuals resided? or not specifically their home addresses or anything, but do we know what locations? Were they closer to Baltimore, closer to D.C.? Where they, did they, where, do, what do we know about the state of Maryland? Well, the only thing that uh, you know from the indictment papers, it just says they were residing um, in Maryland. Uh, it doesn't have any more details. However, it does specify that one of the individuals was clearly um, an Iranian national or who came uh, from Iran, was a, a dissident, and, and uh, his wife was the second person that was uh, a target. And they didn't provide any um, other details uh, as to you know, the, the information about their locations or their job or their activities, other than saying that they were opposed to the Iranian regime. I guess that's really all that matters. Yeah, it is at this stage because we don't want to expose these individuals, these innocent folks and their families to anything. Um, so um, what 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 do you know about these individuals that were suspects? Have they been captured? Have they been arrested? What's the situation there? Yes, well, you know, these two um, Canadian nationals, they have a track record in criminal activities. Some of them were engaged in other, um, you know, killing and murder uh, activities uh, already jailed, um, you know, with that kind of a background. Uh, and then these are actually the best uh, places, uh, the best people for the Iran regime to hire because, you know, they have the, uh, the, the background involved in criminal activities. Uh, plus, I mean, no one will... Um, will pay attention that, you know, these guys who were involved, let's say, in drug trafficking or uh, other criminal activities uh, would actually be hired uh, by a foreign government. And um, and that's why, you know, these individuals, one of them was only 40 uh, in, his, in his 20s, I think, um, uh, the uh, 29 years old, um, and the other one is 43 years old, um, both uh, Canadian um, nationals, um, and um, uh, th that's all the information that was uh, provided. But interestingly, um, one of them uh, belonged to uh, a, a bike club, um, and the regime reached out to that person who then hired the next person. Um, so 
this way, the Iranian agent out of uh, Iran was only dealing with one person on encrypted communication, using his resources, his network to hire other criminals. And even the payment would go uh, through that channel. So this way, they can, the regime can actually protect as much um, you know, information and vulnerabilities as, as, as possible. And that seems to be the trend that they had used uh, in the past uh, few years, um, that especially after the Iran regime's um, agents who were Iranian nationals or people who were officials of the Iran regime were caught carrying out terrorist activities. It was very costly for the Iran regime. One case was you reported actually back in um, 2018, in summer of 2018, um, an Iranian uh, diplomat based in Vienna, Asadullah Asadi, he brought a powerful bomb from Iran to Vienna um, on a, a diplomatic pouch, then gave it to two other culprits uh, in another country in Luxembourg who were supposed to drive to Paris uh, with another culprit carrying out the terror operation there. Of course, everybody were all arrested right before the event uh, went on and there were, uh, there were trials in court cases extensive trial and for the first time an Iranian official diplomat was convicted of terrorism, sentenced to 20 years of imprisonment and just uh, mid last year after serving five years of his 20 years, he was returned back to Iran by the Belgian government in a quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. And um, another case was actually right here in the United States in 2018 again in August of 2018 that two Iranian um, nationals. Uh, one of them was actually also an American citizen who was based in Iran, but came here to hire another um, Iranian national who was also a U.S. person. And they were plotting to um, what the Justice Department said, um, part of the capture and kill operations. And of course, my name was uh, one of the people uh, mentioned in that uh, uh, indictment. And, and thank God they were you know, arrested and and they confessed and they were jailed. So after those um, so, direct ties to the regime were involved, the regime is resorting more and relying more on foreign nationals. So we kind of got off track there, but let's um, make sure people understand. You mentioned that your name was mentioned in the indictment. Your name was not mentioned in the indictment as a suspect, but you were one of the victims. Let's be clear. That's correct, right? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, the they, uh, the indictment makes it very clear that these two agents were um, looking to target officials of the National Council of Resistance of right. Iran, you know, specifically here, our office here. And uh, one of the people that they were targeting was, of course, myself. And, you know, because uh, he actually mentions that because I exposed the major nuclear sites of uh, Iran, in, including Natanz, and uh, you know that's that's part of the indictment. Obviously, the Iran regime has had a trend of uh, targeting its uh, Iranian distances, the same way that was the case in Paris. So, Iran has taken this route, taken this tactic to trying to go after people, to assassinate them, to capture them in the U.S. Uh, and. and you know, in the cases of captures, they want to bring them back to Iran to go to, to to do whatever. We don't know what they would do to imprison, imprison or kill them there. Why 
do you suppose Iran is so bent on doing this? Well, the Iranian regime is in big trouble, honestly speaking, um, inside the country. Um, at least since 2017, there have been major rounds of uh, demonstrations, uprising nationwide, people calling for regime change. And what the regime is so concerned about is the engine behind these protests, those who can move the protest you know, levels up and, and eventually lead to the fall of the Iran regime. So that's why, especially since 2017, 2018, the regime has been focused on targeting um, Iranian opposition leaders uh, outside of Iran, in addition to what they're doing inside the country. This is all about the survival of the regime. The regime needs to uh, target this opposition to make him ineffective or create fear uh, among the Iranian population that if you speak up, if you're engaged in the overthrow of the Iran regime, you're going to be targeted. And I think this is the same, the other side of the coin to what we see now in the region, their terrorism. Why does the regime step up terrorism? Because it's for their survival. They're in trouble domestically. They want to deviate attention. They want to maintain power. That's why they rely on their proxies in the region. It's the same uh, mentality behind hiring foreign nationals to carry out terror attacks against dissidents. Ali Reza, the, the U.S. is in the process of formulating what President Biden says is a response to the killing of three U.S. troops and the wounding of more than 40 earlier in the week, actually over the weekend in northeast Jordan by uh, a drone that was launched by a militant or militia group that is sponsored and essentially uh, controlled by the government of Iran. And so we don't know what the U.S.'s plan is yet, how are they going to do this, but they say that at a time and a place of our choosing, we will respond. So what is it that the U.S. can do that would get the Iranian regime's attention? Well, what gets the Iran regime's attention is firmness and decisiveness, it's accountability. Uh, they need to feel um, that what they have done, um, they are actually paying the price for it. Unfortunately, over the past uh, several decades, I should say, the Iran regime has always gotten away with their terrorism, or even worse, they've been rewarded uh, for their terrorism. You know, the hostage taking has turned into a very profitable business for the Iran regime. They just got uh, $6 billion for uh, getting five American hostages uh, released. This has been a trend that has been going on for decades. Um, uh, and also they're using their proxies outside of Iran. And, and Tehran itself is never held accountable uh, for those things, um, you know, and Tehran doesn't care if their proxies are paying the price, uh, the, the, the price, if they, the proxies are getting attacked, as long as the regime itself doesn't feel threatened or feel that others are afraid of them, then they will continue uh, doing those actions. Uh, so look at the situation, uh, at least since October of uh, last year until now, how many, um, you know, threats uh, directly or indirectly the Iran regime has done and 
you know, firing missiles, getting, uh, you know, their their proxies, Houthis in the Red Sea, uh, targeting um, commercial ships. Look what they're doing in Syria, in Iraq, and, 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 and you know, in Lebanon, all of that. Yeah. They have never been held accountable. So that's what they need to do. So, so all of that is because they're doing all of these things as well because they're insecure? Absolutely. Um, the main driving force of the Iran regime's actions, whether inside Iran or outside of Iran, is all about uh, their survival. This regime is vulnerable. They know it. Um, the people of Iran have rejected this regime. So the only way they can survive is to step up repression against the very same population or opposing them, but also using their proxies outside of Iran. Uh, and in this way, they can project power. You know, people may think, oh, the Iran regime, they have all these proxies and everything. They are powerful. Um, that's not the case. This regime is not 10 feet tall. Uh, they're not doing any of these activities out of uh, power. Rather, this is all uh, from the position of weakness. They're vulnerable. Uh, they're paranoid about their, 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 their future. That's why they're resorting to these actions. It's important to understand this because it will then allow you to take proper measures. Uh, you will see that if you take decisive actions against the Iranian regime, they back down. Uh, remember when Qasem Soleimani was taken out, the terror master, the head of the Quds Force, um, he was taken out in um, you know, 2020 uh, by the United States with all the threats the regime did. Uh, for so long, they couldn't do anything. Um, and they made all kinds of you know, you know, threats or anything like that, but it actually, they were, you know, they, 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 um, nothing could, 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 they, they could do in, in reaction to that. To the contrary, you saw the increasing protests um, inside the country. The argument at the time was that if you uh, threaten the regime, the people would rally behind the flag in Iran. That never happened uh, to the country under, under sanctions, under pressure against the regime people were more encouraged to step up their their opposition to the Iran regime. So what you're saying, and I just want to be clear about this, is that if the U.S. wants to send a message to Iran, it has to go after Iran, not its proxies, not only just its proxies, but it's got to do something for and to, or it's got to do something to Iran and the regime itself, correct? Well, you know, one thing I think has become very clear, at least since October 7th, that the head of the snake of war and terrorism in the region actually lies in Tehran. So what do you do with the head of the snake? You crush it. And of course, that's the responsibility of the people of Iran, not the outside world. Um, uh, but the outside world can hold the regime accountable, but also at the same time, uh, uh, provide room and space uh, for the organized opposition uh, to do what they're intending to do, to bring down the Ayatollahs. They need to stand on the side of the people of Iran who are legitimately fighting against the regime. They need to recognize the legitimacy of the fight against this regime by the Iranian people. That is missing. The U.S. government, the Western nations, they all have to say very clearly that the people of Iran have the right, it's actually their duty, their right, to overthrow this regime, to fight back, to push back the revolutionary guards, the repressive forces, in order to bring about change. That's the missing factor. Do you believe that the, the Ayatollahs, the leadership of Iran, 
And those folks who are behind essentially the organization of these militias and proxies, do you believe they should be targeted? Just like you were targeted, just like others have been targeted. Do you believe the U.S. and the West should target these individuals? Well, you know, I'm not in a position to tell the you know, U.S. government or other Western nations exactly what to do and what actions to take. Um, I think, you know, they, they can you know, draft their own strategy. But one thing is very clear, that so long as they avoid holding the regime accountable for their crimes in order to target the regime in any way that they see appropriate, um, you know, nothing is going to be resolved. Um, and remember um, that, you know, this is not something that just happened overnight. There is a trend of decades of opposition to the Iran regime by the people of Iran. But also listen to the U.S. Congress, you know, members of Congress from both sides of the aisle, both in the House and the Senate. They are calling for accountability. They're calling for fair policy. They're, they're calling for taking, you know, decisive action against the Iran regime. And of course, when, you know, something like Qasem Soleimani was eliminated, the people of Iran endorsed it. We endorsed it. Uh, because, you know, what do you do with terrorists? What, what do you do with those who are, um, you know, hurting peace, are the main obstacles to peace and, and security? Uh, you have to, you know, remove them. And that's exactly what happened with Qasem Soleimani. Okay. The very last thing, is there something you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? I think the, the most important thing is that um, this is a very critical time, critical juncture, um, I think since October 7, uh, pretty much the whole world has changed. Um, all of the calculations anyone was doing before, they have to revisit their policies. New decisions must be made by Western capitals, whether in Europe or in the United States, and what they want to do with the epicenter of terror, uh, with the head of the snake. And uh, this is the time that is very critical but also there is a, a tremendous opportunity out there, despite all of the murder, all of the killings, all of the bloodshed, um, we have the opportunity to, by, by taking the right decision, the right policies, to end all of this carnage once and for all. Um, this these, uh, you know, violence and killings is not a permanent feature of that part of the world. Uh, that part of the world can see peace. It must be able to see peace. And this will only happen when the Ayatollahs are overthrown. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, the book is called God, Guns, and Sedition by Bruce Hoffman and Jacob Weir. Uh, we began the book in April 2020 which was pretty much the depths of the COVID lockdown. And what I had noticed is literally within days of the lockdown in mid-March, all of a sudden, all these outlandish conspiracy theories began to circulate on the internet and on social media, um, blaming the Jews, for example, blaming immigrants, uh, targeting Asian Americans, targeting African Americans, targeting immigrants. And the situation in the U.S. has gotten worse. We talk with Bruce Hoffman. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. 
In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.